Well, good morning, church family, and if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, uh, my name's Randy Boltinghouse, and I'm just the, I'm privileged uh, to be the uh, lead minister here at the church, and uh, Windsor Road Christian Church is a life-changing community committed to passionately pursuing Christ, and so if you have not sensed uh, that Jesus is the most important person in this church community. This, we want you to make sure you get that. If you don't get anything else, we want you to get that uh, before we dismiss from corporate worship. Jesus, Jesus matters most, and we want to pursue him best. And um, I just want to thank uh, Tim Combs, one of our elders, and I want to thank uh, Jason Weatherholt, our family life minister, for uh, preaching uh, for me uh, so that... Uh, uh, my family could go to Oklahoma to be with my family of origin. It was really the first time in, I don't know, uh, I know over 20 years that um, uh, kind of all of the bolting houses, the bolting house boys, Robbie, Randy, Ricky, uh, and their families could, could just all be together and go to church together. And so it was, it was a great family treat and I, I was able to do that because of the generosity of the elders that I serve and, and specifically just we've got such a, a wonderful deep teaching bench here at Windsor Road. So I'm just, I'm just a grateful pastor here. Um, last week, Tim Combs started uh, a, uh, I would say the second, the second half of a series that we have been in at the church over the New Testament book of Ephesians. And he uh, started with Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And I just want to pick it up where he left off uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read uh, verses 17 through chapter 5, verse 2. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version Uh, And I have that particular version uh, on your outlines uh, this morning, and I also have uh, the English Standard Version up on the screen behind me, and uh, I'll tell you why I'm using that uh, version in just a moment, but I'm going to be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through chapter 5, verse 2. Now this I say and testify in the Lord... That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, 
for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. New Year's resolutions. What do you think about New Year's resolutions? Have you made any? Have you thought about that? I had some conversations uh, this week with folks who don't know each other who gave the same counsel, and that's this. I thought it was good. Uh, Instead of putting together a shopping list of things to do for New Year's resolutions, a checklist, Instead, focus on one word, a theme for the year. What would that be if that were you? Would this be your year to you fill in the blank? Maybe for you it would be the year to learn. Maybe it would be the year to serve. Or the year to give. What would it be? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a word here, which would, would be an excellent theme, an, an excellent, uh, really a compass directing our lives. Did you see what the word was? It's the word walk. Walk. The word walk uh, really dominates the back half of Ephesians. It appears seven times in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We've already seen it twice in Ephesians chapter 2. The word walk begins and concludes our scripture reading today. The word walk shows up a couple more times in Ephesians chapter 5. Walk. What does that word mean? Well, The word literally means walk. Walk. Paul uses it here, though, as a metaphor, a word picture that describes the conduct of our lives, the way God wants us to live our lives. And the the word does have implications like movement. We're going somewhere. 
We're going from point A to point B. And the implication there is progress. We're walking, we're making progress. And so you see how that would apply to the different arenas in our life, don't you? In our marriage and family life, we want to make progress. We want to walk from point A to point B in our vocation. As we're starting the semester with school, we're, we're making progress in our academics. We're walking in progress and, and, and making movement in our relationships and going from point A to point B. Things are happening and, it's, and it, they're building on one another. Walk, Paul says. Well, specifically, these verses really crescendo and build to what Paul's word is for us He wants us to, we read it in chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love. That's what God wants us to do. That's the big idea for today. Walk in love. Walk in love in your dealings with family, in your dealings with your colleagues, in your dealings with your adversaries. Walk, make progress, make movement. Get from point A to point B. Walk in love. And I want us to see what that looks like this morning, but I'll give you a little hint. There is a great quote that I read this week that describes just really what that looks like. And and according to one author, walking in love is to be a living mystery. To be a living mystery, to walk in love, is to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. The opposite of that is true as well, isn't it? To walk in love means to live in such a way that my life is exhibit A, that there is a God. Why, look how, look how she walks. Look how he conducts himself with his clients at the office. Look how she treats her patients. See how they interact with their students. Observe how they handle themselves in peaceable times and not so peaceable times. My goodness, there must be a God. I can see God in their life. That's walking in love. And this morning, what I want us to do as we look through these verses is I want us to answer three questions. I've got them on your outlines. Question number one is, how do we walk in love? How do we do that? What's the means by which we're able to walk in love? Secondly, what does it look like to walk in love? If I see someone walking in love, are there some observable traits that I should be able to, should I be able to see evidence of walking in love in someone's life? We're going to see that here And then the third question is, what about the power? The power source of walking in love. I've got those three questions on your outline, and I've even got the answers, too, as you can see, (laughs) right? Everybody gets an A at Windsor Road. (laughs) So let's talk about these questions, and the first is, how do we walk in love? Well, you notice here in verses 17 to 24, um, Walking, in the Apostle Paul's mind, has absolutely nothing to do with the strength of your legs or the stability of your knees or, the, or your footwear. 
Walking in love doesn't have anything to do with what's below your waist, but rather what's above your neck. It has to do with your mind. A way of thinking. You see, Paul is telling this church then and this, this church now that there's two different kinds of walks. Don't do this, but instead this. But each of those walks are fueled by a way of thinking, a mindset, a worldview. And Paul says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the, and he defines the entire Gentile mindset in one word. You see that? Futility. Now, I want to interrupt myself because the church at Ephesus, by the time they received this letter from the Apostle Paul, they were predominantly Gentile. So Paul is saying, I want you Gentiles to stop thinking like Gentiles. What? Maybe it would be easier if I put it this way. I want you Americans to stop thinking like Americans. Oh, that's what he means. <laughs> See? He described their mindset as, 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 as futile, futility. You see, the Gentile mindset, the American cultural mindset, it's a mindset that really doesn't acknowledge the existence of God in everyday life. It's a mindset that's kind of like, well, you know, God's just this faraway person and he doesn't really care about little old me, so why should I care about big old him? Peter Gay, in his book, The Way of the Modern World, describes the Gentile or American mindset. He says it's an interpretation of reality which excludes the reality of God from the business of life. The Gentile mindset, the American cultural mindset, has a mindset in which we just go about our daily business in the world without giving much thought to God. We just kind of live and work and breathe and have our relationships as if God doesn't exist. We kind of created our own construct. We've created our own universe, our own sim city, We've, in, in, in which there really isn't a God actually in the American mindset, in the Gentile mindset, each of us are the, is the emperor of a kingdom of one. And we are sovereign over that kingdom. We call the shots over that kingdom. And as a result, as a result, our, our, our minds, verse 18 says, become darkened. Now, Paul's not saying that every non-Christian in Ephesus is an axe murderer. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that when you live your life as if the goal of life was to orbit around your life, you're going to be darkened. Your understanding is going to be cut off from God. And, you know, there's a soft side to such futility, and there's a hard side. The soft side is what I just mentioned people that aren't necessarily hostile to God. They just kind of, they just think God's too busy to deal with them and, 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 and it, it just doesn't even come into mind. And, and, you know, as one person put it, you get sick and die, so you have to keep busy. We go from point to point to point to point to point, rushing from, from event to event to event to event, and we, there's just really no time to reflect upon God. And then, on top of that, when you think about how technology is, well, there's a different way of thinking about technology, right? 
You know, for instance, okay, how would a renewed mind think about this? Huh? I know you're saying, he got one? Yeah. (laughs) And it's off, too, by the way. (laughs) Well, a renewed mind in Christ, you know, would thank God who is sovereign over the universe, who who has set uh, an ordained laws of science, and he oversees that, that allows human beings to create and innovate, and as a result of that, tools exist to help us do work in life and in relationships and planning, okay? But the Gentile mindset, oh my goodness, in which life revolves around self, Huh? See, see, this just isn't a phone, is it? No, no, it's a library. It's a shopping mall. It's an encyclopedia. It's a word processor. My goodness. And the Gentile mindset, it's like, well, huh, I have this and I have a line of credit. What do we need God for? I can't. Why do I need to pray? I can just order what I want to on this and it comes tomorrow morning by 10 o'clock via Amazon. Who needs God? See? You see the two different mindsets? A mindset in which there is a sovereign creator and maker and another mindset that seeks to protect self-sovereignty. Self-sovereignty. And I tell you, the Gentile mindset is fierce about protecting that. And when, when the Gentiles go along with that, well, there's a process, right? They're darkened in their understanding, verse 18. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. But why is there ignorance? Keep reading. Due to the hardness of their heart. So it's willful ignorance. It's, it's culpable ignorance. It's the kind of ignorance that leads to a hardness of a heart and to a calloused life and and a life that's given themselves up to, to sensuality. You see, here's the deal. An atheist would say to a pastor like me, Pastor, I know why you do what you do for a living. You are into control. You want to control people. You want to tell people what to do. You want to tell them what to do with their lives. You want to tell them what to do with their money. All you're just into control. That's why you do what you do. That's what motivates you. And philosophers like Michael Foucault talks about that. It's all rooted in control. Well, guess what? The pastor can say the same thing to the atheist. Why is it that you want to live the life that you want to live? Because you want control as well. You want to control your choices. You don't want, and you're a freedom-loving American. You don't want anybody telling you what to do. And as a result, that kind of path leads to the path that Paul speaks of. In verse 19, they've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They're, they're They're just dead to God. Thomas Nagel is an atheist and a philosopher who authored um, Introduction to Philosophy 
book titled, What Does It All Mean? Listen to what he once said. He said, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right about my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Isn't that interesting? And then there's another philosopher, a philosopher by the name of Mortimer Adler, who was an atheist and stiff-armed God for a long period of his time, but he came to Christ when he was 81. He was baptized, and he confessed afterwards that the reason why he rejected religious commitment for most of his life, this is what he said, because, I quote, it would require a radical change in my way of life, a basic alteration in the direction of my day-to-day choices as well as in the ultimate objectives to be sought or hoped for. And the simple truth of the matter is, I just didn't want to walk in love. I just didn't want it, you see. And Paul says to the Ephesians, see, that's what you were. That's what you were. Verse 20, but you did not come to learn Christ that way. And that's an unprecedented phrase in the New Testament, verse 20. Learn Christ. You understand the implications of that? Learning Christ. Christianity is not about mastering a list of rules, but it's about being consumed and dominated by a person. I'm learning this person, Jesus I've heard about him, Paul says in verse 21. I was taught in him. And then he says, as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus, the Jesus that walked and talked and interacted and healed and died and rose. The historical Jesus. Verse 21. Christianity is about a new life in a person. And so, my life as a Christian is not about just rule keeping. I don't look at the Bible now as a religious thing I do, a chore. Instead, I look at the Bible as a script. And I am an actor on a stage, the drama of life. And I learn the lines of the script. I memorize the script. I internalize the script. And then I portray the character, the person. Being a Christian is about portraying and imitating a person. And you know the good actors, don't you? The good actors are those that make you forget that the actors are there. I don't no longer see Meryl Streep on the screen. Who do I see? That's Julia Child. Or, or, you know, uh, that's Margaret Thatcher. My goodness, the good ones. The good ones say what John the Baptist said. He must become greater and I must become lesser. The good ones say what the Apostle Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. And that's why Paul then says in these verses, he uses these, these verbs, putting off. Those are, uh, those are wardrobe terms. I'm taking off the clothes of the old self, and I'm putting on the new self. And, and there's baptismal imagery there too, as the old is being peeled off and dying in the waters. And then there's a resurrection that occurs this, that's being pictured in the waters. And that's why Martin Luther would say that every day we need to return to our baptism. We have been renewed in the spirit of our minds. Christianity is not about behavior modification At its root, it's not about moral improvement. It's about resurrection, and we need to get that. This is why the Apostle Paul begins his letters with the, here is who God says you are. And that's what we've been hearing in Ephesians 1 through 3, and that's what we're reminded of here in the first half of this section. God says, this is who you are. I have redeemed you. I have loved you. I have lavished grace upon you. Uh, I have bequeathed to you an inheritance. I've made you into a work of art. Now, you let that truth inform you about how you live your life. The fact of the matter is, church family, resolutions don't work. And you know why? Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And that's why I need to put on the new self, the new self that is created by God to live in true righteousness and holiness. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It is about smashing the idols in your life. It's about smashing the whole universe in which you orbit around yourself. You got yourself into trouble through worship, the worship of the wrong God, and you get yourself out of trouble through worship worshiping the true God and trusting that what he says about you is true. Friday night at Celebrate Recovery, I heard Gary talk about how, you know, people say, well, I know God has forgiven me, but I just need to forgive myself. No, you don't. You need to trust what God says. What God says about you is more important than what you think about you. God's opinion matters most And his opinion is that you were once in darkness, but now you're light. Now you live in that light, and you walk in that light. You walk in love. That's the how. Got to let your mind be renewed. Well, this leads us to our second question, because when your mind is renewed and you walk in love, people can see that. And so in verses 25 through the end of the chapter, there are some specific observable articles of clothing from the new person. And Paul just gives us a list. You know, take off that old article of clothing, put on this new article of clothing. That's what he does here. So it's a list of five or six uh, articles of clothing that need to be exchanged, changed. And so let's just go through that list, and then I want to tell you a story. 
Verse 25 says you need to put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So you're going to put off the article of falsehood, and you're going to put on the clothing of truth. Why? Well, as Tim taught us last week, we're a body of many parts. And so why would the eye lie to the foot about where it's going? That's a recipe for self-destruction, isn't it? So it's so important to put on truth, and especially in our church family, we put on truth. And then Paul talks about controlled versus uncontrolled anger. He says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Some of your versions will say, in your anger, do not sin. Anger itself is not sin, and yet at the same time, verse 27 says that it's an opportunity for Satan to exploit it into sin and disobedience. And that's what Satan does, you know. One author wrote, Satan will exploit a situation whenever he can. Satan stands ready with a container of gasoline that he wants to pour on the fire of any uncontrolled passion to cause it to flame out of control in order to re-enslave you in a life of sin. He stands ready to do that. In your anger, do not sin. and Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I read something this week that helped me in this regard. Paul did not say, do not let the sun go down on your dispute, did he? See, some disputes are pretty serious and pretty deep, and they require lengthy conversations. And when Sarah and I are having an argument, a spirited discussion... I can really, really, when you think about it, what, 45 minutes, maybe an hour at the most? Then I end up saying the same thing, only louder. And that always helps, right? No, no. But you can call a truce. And you say, we're going to set this aside. We'll talk about it later. We're going to be disciplined in our peacemaking. And we're not going to let uncontrolled anger be an opportunity for Satan to scorch us, you see. And why? Because we're committed to walking in love because of who God says we are. Well, look at verse 28. <laughs> I, like, uh, uh, I like how one commentator put it. In Christ, the thief has been converted to a philanthropist. The, the person who did wrong to satisfy his own selfish desires must now work in order to meet someone else's needs. And then what about verse 29? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear might that verse inform us about our social media sites? Might that verse inform us about what we tweet or tumble? Might that verse cause us to edit our Facebook sites or emails or texting? 
you see. Hmm. And then, then Paul says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger. You see the progression there? It starts from the inside. Bitterness, wrath, anger, shouting, right? And then slander. It just, just blows up like a volcano. Put that away from you along with all malice. And instead, you put on the clothing of kindness. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Those are visible and observable in people's lives. And when you see that, it's like, there must, there must be a God. This person is living like God is in them. And that leads me to the story I want to tell you. So our family got to go to Oklahoma to see uh, my family of origin for Christmas. And so we all sat together in church on the 25th. And then on the 26th, we all met at 10 a.m. at J.C. Penney's for a family portrait. Mom said, bring your suit. Yes, ma'am. And we all were there, the Bolting House clan. All of us. All of us. There was Rob, his wife Christy, Christy's mother Nancy. There was my younger brother Rick and his wife Julia and uh, Rick's daughter Kaylee and then Rick and Julia's son Isaac. And then there was Randy and Sarah and then Brandon was with us, and then, then there was, it was my dad, and then there was his wife, Donna, and then there was my mom. And we were all in the picture, smiling. There we were, all of us. I never thought I'd see the day when that would happen, you know? My dad, you know, previous wife, present wife, we're all in the picture, smiling. Yesterday, Sarah called my mom just to check in, and she said, what are you doing? My mom said, oh, I'm here at the house, and, and, and Dad and Donna are here, and we're going through the pictures that we took, picking out which is the best one Man, alive. Wow. That's amazing. All being in the same picture. We all sat in church together. We all went to my brother's house to do Christmas. And how did that happen? And these verses tell me how that happened. Because someone in my family made a decision to walk in love. And that someone is my beloved mother. It was five or six years ago she made a decision. She made a decision she was going to commit her life to because of who she was, who Christ said she was, she was going to put away falsehood. 
and speak truth. She wasn't going to let anger give an opportunity for the devil. And she wasn't going to steal time from anybody in the family by being divisive. She wasn't going to let any corrupting talk come out of her mouth than only what was good for building up. See, she made a decision that she wasn't going to let bitterness and wrath and shouting and anger to spew out. Instead, she was going to commit herself to being kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. My mom made a decision based on the reality that she could never forgive anyone more than Christ had forgiven her. My beloved mother made that decision. And the reason why she could have my dad and his wife over and for them to be at peace with one another and to have a healthy conversation and enjoy one another's company is because she had made a decision that there is a more important person residing in her house who must not be grieved, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. And she made that decision. And she's lived by it. And I've been able to see and be amazed at Christ in her life. Now let me just say this. I am not saying that the epitome of forgiveness is for you to sit down with a J.C. Penny portrait with your ex. I'm not saying that, okay? Just want to get it? <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay. You don't have to go to J.C. Penny and have a portrait with your ex. But you do have to destroy your voodoo doll. <laughs> okay? You got it. And you got to get rid of the you got to get rid of the needles. I'll get rid of the needles. Can I keep the doll? No. <laughs> no. Cuz then you'll just shoot daggers with your eyes at the doll. No. Got to get rid of the doll. Because Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about destroying your idols. It kind of gets us to this third question. And it's the question, who gives us the power to walk in love? Well, willpower is not going to cut it, but Christ's power is sufficient and overflowing. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Gave himself a fragrant offering. So you give the grace that you have received. And what you need to understand is that when God gives you grace, God gives you grace not so that you can just inoculate yourself from the hurt of the past. God doesn't give you grace as an antibiotic. He gives you grace as a virus. You see, you have enough grace so you can be infectious with your grace. And that's why grace has permeated not only in my mom's life, but my dad's life. 
my stepmom's life, my brother's life, my life. And No, we're not perfect. Please understand that. But we're dominated by grace. And that grace comes from the throne of Christ. It comes from the throne who gave himself up for us to make us new. Jesus isn't merely an example of walking in love, but he who empowers us, he he empowers us to do the same through his brutal death, burial, and resurrection. Christ was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God for us as he lived the life we should have lived and died our death for us. And so thus to walk in love is to walk in Christ. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about new life, a new walk, resurrection, becoming a new person. Walk. Walk in love. Walk in love with a mind that's been renewed. Walk in love uh, with a renewed mind where people can see that in your life. It's based in Jesus. Heather King is a commentator for National Public Radio, NPR. She's also a recovering alcoholic who's come to faith in Christ. And, and so she came to faith in Christ and she, she, wrote about a, she wrote a reflection about her initial experience with church. And this is what she said, I quote. She said, my first impulse was to think, my God, I don't want to get sober with these nutcases. <laughs> You know, boring people, people from different political affiliations, tastes in music, food, books, whatever. And then she wrote, nothing shatters our egos like worshiping with people we did not handpick. The humiliation of discovering that we are thrown in with extremely unpromising people. People who are broken, misguided, wishy-washy, out for themselves. People who are us but we don't come to church to be with people who are like us the way we want them to be we come because we have staked our souls on the fact that jesus christ is the way the truth and the life and that the church community is the best place the only place to be while we all struggle to figure out what that means we come Because we'd be hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals of God, that he loves us or that he loves everyone else. Walk in love.